What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to All The Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio, in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's good? My brother. And we're here again. Final, final day of filming, man. We've been in L.A. four days, had some great interviews. We get to end with uh, my man, our man. Uh, man, welcome. Lakers assistant coach, Phil Handy. The walking bag. What's up, yeah. So many moves in his bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of shit. It's a pleasure to be here. A lot of shit, man. man. I'm glad we finally got to link. We've been trying to link and get you on here for a minute. Shout out our homegirl, Michelle. It's her birthday today. Yeah, Shelly Shell. Shell. Happy birthday. Shelly Shell. I was just on the phone with her not yeah. too long ago. Yeah, so uh, anyway, man, let's get to it. Uh, obviously, 20. 2020 uh, was a disaster outside of you guys winning a championship. What are you encouraged about in 2021, uh, halfway through the year at this point? Man, from a basketball standpoint, man, because for me personally, 2020 was like probably one of the best years that I've had individually for growth. Mm -hmm. That's the first time in my, in my basketball career in the last 20 years I've had a chance to sit down and mm -hmm. do absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had a great time to, to like reflect Mm -hmm. And I spent some time with myself, spent some time with my son, and really just kind of dive back into my family a little bit. So for me personally, right. that was one of the best things that could have happened. Mm -hmm. Basketball-wise, yeah, you know, every, I think the world knows the challenge that we had. But um, we came out of that bubble, and the season started so fast for 21, and it really was just all about, man, how do we manage the season? You know, how do you manage the season? How do you try to keep guys healthy? How do you, how do you get rest? You know, how do you build up your team and just try to get through get through a season that's, you know, what we call a sprint. I mean, mm -hmm. you guys both played in the league for many years. 82 games is crazy. Mm -hmm. But 72 games in that, that so span that, that, that we just played, we yeah. played every other day. Mm -hmm. So really just figuring out how to get through the season, survive, mm -hmm. and get through the season, and come, in, come into the playoffs healthy 
and give yourself the best chance to try to defend your title, man. Mm -hmm. That's right. The top right now. Um, thoughts on the playing tournament? Obviously, uh, one of your players was uh, not a big fan of it. Uh, Bron said whoever uh, came up with the idea should be fired. From a coaching perspective and a standpoint, what was your, what was your thought on the playing situation? Um, man, I always feel like the playoffs are you got to win games. Regardless. So, whatever. You know, you, you put us in a position where did we want to play in a play-in game last night? Uh, not necessarily, but... Man, those type of games kind of tell you where you are. Mm -hmm. You know, you are you ready for the playoffs? You know, are you ready for that mental battle? That battle? Are you ready for the physical? So for me, it's just if you got to win a game. You put your hard hat on, prepare yourself, know your opponent, and go win the game. Well, that's that's that what you got to do, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people try to say, well, you know, let's play this team and play that team. At some point in the playoffs, you got to play. Mm -hmm. Whoever it is your matchup, you're gonna have to play. You got a game plan. And you got to go out there and win. That's what it was. was that's what it boils mm -hmm. down to me, for me. Absolutely. And even though it was a playing game, how thrilling was it? That's playoff basketball. It was thrilling oh, last night, man. It was tough in there. Yeah. They said viewership was up 190% from any game last season. That dude is a problem, man. <laughs> that dude. <laughs> that dude is a straight up problem. I don't care. Game plan. You, you can game plan. He just. Draymond, too. Yeah. You yeah. know, so smart. People, people give Draymond a lot of. A lot of problems, but he is one of those dudes that's figured out who he is, yeah. figured out how he needs to play, figured out how can I play at a high level doing what I do best. Mm -hmm. And that's making Get his team. hand up, yeah. Man, I'm going to have an imprint on the game. I'm going to go 0 for 5. Mm -hmm. I might have two points, but my imprint is going to be all over this game. No yeah. question. And you look at him and him and Steph, man, they were just disruptive the whole game. Mm -hmm. You know, two dudes. Right. You know, now, mind you, don't take anything, because the rest of the team, those guys play hard. They play them well. Yeah. They, they figured out their roles. But those two dudes, man, are disruptive. Mm -hmm. And Steph is just, I saw one clip, the whole coaching staff, man, we on the sidelines. Jay Kidd, Lionel Hollins, Frank, myself. Steph was running in circles. He, he had AD and Ace, Alex Caruso running around. We on the sidelines yelling and pointing <laughs> and screaming. Like, bro, that's what he does to yeah. you. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. if you let him get loose, yeah. and even when you don't let him get loose, he not going to knock one but down. think about now it's just him, but it used to be having to worry about two dudes running around <laughs> like that. You know, that's what made oh, them so unfair man. where you have to Steph will start running all this way and set a screen for Clay, and then Clay will pop a hit at the, you know what I mean? So they Steph alone man. is a monster. This is kind of you may not have the luxury of being able to do this because you're so in the moment, but you've been able to see LeBron and Steph go with each other in the finals. You had a great, you know, play-in situation last night. Do you ever just kind of sit back and realize, like, man, we're watching two of the greatest players in the history of the game go at it? Or are you kind of more, yeah. this is coach mode, we got fuck them? It's a little bit of both. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, Matt, like, you know me. You know, we had some time together mm -hmm. here with the Lakers. I'm ultra-competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm old school. Like, we on the other team. I'm not trying to talk to you during yeah. the game. I'm talking shit to you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to win. That's right. how I go. But also, on the flip side, there have been times where I'm actually selling the bench, man, and said, man, I'm, who am I watching play? Right. It's not real talk. <laughs> right. Like, like, from a perspective of just understanding we love the game and the guys that we're around, the guys that you guys play with, guys you played against, right? As a coach, there have been times I'm sitting on the bench like, man, forget coaching. I'm... I'm gonna just enjoy this game. Right. Like I'm watching these cats play at a high level, and you know, arguably one of the best to ever do it. Mm-hmm. You know, Bron is one of those dudes, man, where it's just it's incredible 
to be able to see what he's done night in and night out. And, you know, and I've spent, you know, six years with him. Mm -hmm. But going through that four-year stretch where we're in Cleveland and going to the finals every year, playing against Steph and, and Clay and then KD when he came, that's incredible. It's mm -hmm. a, a lot of buckets on one court. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you throw Kyrie in there when mm -hmm. he was in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. You know, and just all those other people, man. But, but being able to sit back and watch this dude every night, sometimes, sometimes I'll be on the bench just like this. <laughs> like, like somebody like, Bro, like man, I'm sitting right? in the living room. Like, damn. I tell people all the time, man, I got I one of the best seats in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, you've had a lot of luck in just landing, obviously, grind to get to where you're at, but fortunate enough to catch Kobe, Coach Kobe, Coach LeBron, Coach Kawhi, and Coach LeBron again. I mean, you've got three rings as a, a, as a coach, but like I said, somehow you land on your feet in great situations, but I mean, you're just accustomed to going to the finals now. You know I mean? You went, like you said, four years in a row with Cleveland, then you go with Toronto, then it's a year off or no, you went right with the Lakers, right? I would like right to right. So you've been to the finals, what, the six last years in a row? six years? Six straight. Man, look at you. But what's that ride been like? Because like, uh, some people never make it. You know what I mean? Man. And obviously I know you appreciate it, but to consistently go six years in a row with three different teams, you've won with all three teams. What's that experience like as, as just a man and, and a hooper at heart? Man, that's, um, one, is it's unreal. Man, I'm telling look, and you guys both know, you know, having the careers that you had and the battles and the playoffs, like for me, um, one, it gives me chills, man, because I, I think about the journey that I've been on. Mm -hmm. I didn't play in the NBA for a long time. One, I, I have, a, I have a, like a real deep appreciation for the journey that I've been on because of, because of how I became a coach in the NBA. Mm -hmm. You know, Mike Brown obviously gave me an opportunity. My guy. I wasn't a dude that was... That was, uh, you know, had a long NBA career. I mean, I had a long basketball career. Right. played overseas, but I've always had this thing of, for me personally, man, I just, I want to compete to win. That's just, it's in me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's not, it doesn't always work out like that. Everybody right. does. But when I got to, um, when I got to the Lakers, you know, again, I was obviously at the end of Kobe's career going, to, going into it. You know, we had our struggles with that team. Um, but when I went to Cleveland, Mike got fired and he asked me to come to Cleveland. You know, one of the things he said to me was, you know, um, one, we want you to mentor Kyrie. Mm. Two, that there's a chance that LeBron might come back to Cleveland. Who knows? So I went to Cleveland my first year. We were terrible. Dog shit. You know, we just, young team, trying to figure it out. And then LeBron came back the next year. And we went through that season, ups and downs. You know, K-Love was getting in the ready. Holes crit. And we ended up making it to the finals. Once we got there, for me, man, like walking into Oracle, Going back home, oh, I'm from that's the, the crib. Mm. That's the crib. So that first opportunity was just like, man, this is crazy. And when we got there, all I kept saying to myself was, man, it, there's nothing else. There's no other feeling that you want. Now, look, it's not guaranteed, but I've always wanted to put myself in a position where every year I want to be part of a team that's trying to compete for a championship. Right. That's my mindset competitor in you man and people you know some people say you ring chasing well, you call it whatever you want mm -hmm. i want to win right i'm not in this for money or you know what i'm i'm a purist of the game of basketball so what opportunities can i put myself in to where we can compete for a championship mm -hmm. and you know went through that run in cleveland kind of like went through a spell where my time in cleveland kind of came to a you know came to an end i was there for five years mm -hmm. and then it was like what's next 
So, you know, I knew Braun was, was leaving out of the East, and Toronto had been a team that we had been competing against, you know, for years in the playoffs. And I always kind of felt like the only reason why they couldn't make that hump was because Braun was just... Right. Every year, they, they had to run into him at some point, and our teams. So when the whole thing shifted, you know, I played for Nick Nurse in Europe. Oh, okay. So Nick became the head coach. And I looked at Toronto and said, man, they have a team that can compete. And this was before Kawhi. Right. Mm -hmm. I looked at DeMar. I loved his game. I loved Kyle Lowry. I loved some of the young players that they had. And I said, man, shoot, it's the East is wide open. There's a chance there. Mm -hmm. So when that opportunity presented itself, I said, hey, I'm going to Toronto. Mm -hmm. You know, Nick wanted me on his staff. Man, two days after I signed my contract and agreed to terms, I woke up, ESPN. Toronto Raptors have traded DeMar DeRozan mm -hmm. for Kawhi oh, Leonard. Bro, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> nah, like you said, man. I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. Again, the highest, just, just utmost respect for DeMar because he's a, he's mm -hmm. a hooper. Competitor, right? And, you know, I didn't know Kawhi, but when he came to, came to Toronto and saw that he was healthy, I was like, look, man, we got a, we got a real, real chance, chance bro. Mm -hmm. You have a real chance. And so that year went the way it went. You know, I have a seven-year-old son lives here in L.A. You know, Brian, me and Brian always kept in touch. So it just, it worked out for me to come back to L.A. And we go back to the finals again. I couldn't, I couldn't write this story. You're right. Mm -hmm. It's been you know, crazy. The only thing I can do is, one, be grateful. Mm -hmm. You know, because like you said, it's not guaranteed. I've, I have a lot of respect for a lot of coaches that have coached in the league for 30 years. Yeah, Some have never been to the finals. Mm -hmm. Some have never been to a conference finals. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at this journey and say, it's been a cakewalk. You know, I'm just looking at Sam and I keep my head down every day, keep grinding, keep working, and just try to try to put yourself in the best position mm -hmm. possible. That's all you can do. Compete. We'll get we'll get back to detail about some of those teams, but let's get back to your journey. Um, Oakland, California, Bay native. Area. Um, <laughs> tell us about your uh, about your upbringing and, and how basketball came into your life. Oh man, I'm the youngest of uh, I was the youngest of seven siblings. Uh, my parents. Old school. So my father was was one of those dudes, man. He, he was he was one of the very first minority-owned business owners in Oakland, okay. on the construction business. Okay. So pops was up at three o'clock in the morning going to work, and so for me, his his whole process was: you're not gonna play basketball. You're gonna learn how to work hard. Mm -hmm. Get so crap. in the summertime, where was I? Three a.m. Mm -hmm. I was in the car with him going to work. Mm -hmm. So really, the moral of that part, he taught me how to work hard for one. He gave me tremendous work ethic. But the whole upbringing of basketball, basketball was like an afterthought. Man, I had to sneak out. By the time I turned 16, 17, 18, you know, I had to really sneak out and play because my father, one, I grew up in a very religious household. So I couldn't go out on Friday nights. I couldn't play basketball on Friday night, which, you know, high school basketball, mm -hmm. big game. So I couldn't really play high school basketball. Really? I didn't get a chance to play because of my religious beliefs at the time. Mm. So Friday night, I was at home. I didn't go to dance. I didn't go to none of that. So I had to find ways to sneak out and compete. How do I play AAU? Mm -mm -mm. Once my parents got me a car, it was over. You know, I dip out and go where I want to go. But for me, basketball was just like a... I had to get away. Mm -hmm. I had to get away to play. And my love for the game was just at a high level. Um, I grew up in a great family. But basketball was, wasn't something that was prioritized mm -hmm. in my family. So I had to figure out ways to get around it. But as I grew, I got a scholarship. You know, I went on to play professionally. My father became a big fan of what I was doing. Right. And so once that happened, 
that changed the whole trajectory of how I perceived the game and how I approached it. With my mm -hmm. pops behind me, it was it was a whole different, different story. Whole different yeah. story for me. Who were some of the uh, influences you had growing up um, on uh, on the hoop court? Man, Dr. J was my man. Mm -hmm. Growing up, man, back in those days, man, you get up on Sunday morning, turn on the TV. When I say turn on the TV, wasn't no remote. Mm -hmm, you yeah. get up and turn the TV on. Who be on playing? Boston and Philadelphia. Yeah. ABC. So I grew up loving Doc, man. I grew up loving Jordan. You know, Jordan was part of my era. But the guy that really inspired me as a young kid is Walter Davis. And you got to be a real hooper to know who that is. Walter Davis. Greyhound. See, I'm looking at both of y'all faces. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard the name. I'm just wrong. not familiar where, where. So talk to me about man, him. Walter Davis, man, was like, he was just a smooth cat. Jump shot, mid-range. Mm -hmm. So he was one of those dudes before... That era of MJ, you know, I used to call him the Greyhound. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was a big fan of his, man, growing up. And then, you know, Dr. J and MJ, man, kind of, kind of solidified it for me. Greyhound. Greyhound. And then I was a fan of Grant Hill too. G Money. G Hill was, mm -hmm. G Hill was nasty. G Money. What was the basketball culture like in the Bay, uh, in the Bay Area when you was growing up? Oh, it was nasty. Stack, J Kid, GP, B Shaw, mm -hmm. Greg Foster. Uh, Antonio Davis, mm -hmm. you know, so the hoop culture in the Bay was sick. It was pretty. Steve Nash was going to college there. Yeah. Um, J.R. Ryder was man, out there. Yeah, J.R. Ryder. Mm -hmm. So the, the the whole hoop culture, you yeah. know, you think about L.A., you think about New York, you think about certain certain places, but but the culture in the Bay was pretty deep, mm -hmm. you know, and it was it was some heavy hitters. San Francisco Pro Am used to be yeah I used to be it. on point mm -hmm. back in the day. Kizar was a small sweaty gym. Ray tell you about it, man. Mm -hmm. I've been up in there. Yeah, yeah you know, we, we won a couple championships. Ready got cooked in there a little bit. Ready when I get cooked. <laughs> <laughs> he say never. Oh man, so but some, those were legend. But talk to, key, to 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 the level of competition at those Keysar games because those were NBA level summer league games. Bruh, the Pros. Warriors, the Warriors had a team in in the uh, pro am. Mm -hmm. They had a team like their rookies, mm -hmm. their young players. They would send them over there to play twice a week, mm. and so the league was was full of NBA players. It was full of European, like high-level Europe players would come home. And it was ultra-competitive, man. Mm -hmm. So as a young boy, 17, 18, 19, 20, you had to wait your turn to get on the court. You were one, you were one of those teams, you might not play. Mm. You know, so you sit on the bench, you're watching J.K., you're watching GP, you're watching these dudes play, saying, man, can I get some, can I get some burn? It was, it, was a, it was a tough get up for the summer league. Mm. When did you know that you wanted to pursue playing basketball in college? The first time somebody offered me a scholarship, mm -hmm. so I, I wasn't sure because, like right. I said, I didn't play, I didn't play high school basketball. I played maybe five games of high school basketball, um, and went to junior college, and that was when I really had the opportunity to figure out if I could play. Mm -hmm. I knew I could play, but could I play organized basketball? So I went to, um, I went to Skyline Community College, and ended up, you know, making first team all state. Where's Skyline? San Francisco. San, Francisco? San Bruno. Okay, San Bruno. Right. And then all these scholarship offers started coming. I was, I consider myself a, a, a late, late bloomer mm -hmm. with the game. But the first time I got a scholarship offer, I was like, okay, it's real now. Mm -hmm. And so I really started taking it more serious. And um, I was just like, man, let me pick one of these schools. You know, let me figure out when I ended up going to Hawaii. But it was, uh, it was just an opportunity of like, all right, well, let me see what I can do with it. Well, you had an interesting story on why you went to Hawaii. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> oh, no, you didn't bring that up. We love Hawaii. Oh, man. So <clears throat> the crazy part about it at the time, 
you know, I was pretty close to going to Cal Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Jay Kidd and Lamar Murray were playing there. Mm -hmm. um, and I was at the JUCO across the way, and uh, Cal was, was showing heavy signs of interest, and I was, I was ready to commit. So one of my boys, man, was playing JUCO with me, didn't have a scholarship opportunity. Hawaii was, like, recruiting me super heavy. So they wanted me to take my visit. You know, Hawaii was like, look, you take a visit, you got to commit. You know, we, we don't just fly people out here. So mm. I said no to that. But I did tell him, I said, look, my boy don't have a scholarship. So if you guys give him a scholarship, I'll come to Hawaii. I tried, nah, I was bluffing. Oh, and they did. One, I was bluffing to like, <laughs> to like get him off the trail. Right. And so they were like, well, we're going to get some film on him. They got the film and they signed him first. Wow. They signed him first. I'll make you sign. Hold on. Now, let me tell you the real cold part about it, Stack. I tried to back out of it. My father got wind of it. And as old school as he is, said, no, sir. You mm. gave these people your word, mm. you're going to Hawaii. Gotta stand on it. Stand on it. Mm -hmm. Man, that was one of the hardest lessons for me because I didn't want to do it. I tried to back out of it. And I tried, I really was just like, no, nah, I'm not going to call the coach. Coach came to my house was sitting on the living room couch with my father when I came home one day and was like, Pops, like, hey, you gonna sign that you scholarship? Knew it was over. <laughs> you knew it you was, was a going. wrap. <laughs> I was like, man, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> All right. It was a wrap. So you were about to go to Cal with J. Kidd and Lamar Murray and end Ooh. up in Hawaii. Ended up in Hawaii. You know, they gave my boy a scholarship. We both went that's to school. That's dope, though. Keep it one. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, man, it was... me and you got your man in school, and that, that really happened, so that's dope that that shit it was. happened. It was. But the biggest thing for me, though, is it taught me. Don't open your mouth. Mm, Don't say stuff that you're not going to follow, follow mm. through on because my father really, he held me to the fire on that one, man. So you end up choosing Hawaii. Uh, your dad said you're going to honor your word. You go out there and play. Um, how was that experience? I was dope. You had a good time, though. Yeah, man, it was, it was a culture. It was a culture shock for me. So, you know, you go to Hawaii, people don't really understand, like, the Asian culture, the Samoan and Polynesian culture. Mm -hmm. And it don't was, mix them two up, neither. It's what? a problem. Man, listen. It was, a, it was a good culture shock, but it was a culture shock. Mm -hmm. And then just being on the island. You know, you can't, you can't go anywhere. You know, you drive around the island in three hours mm. and you're back at the school. But that part was cool for me because of just the warm weather. You wake up and go to school every day with shorts on. You know, you wake up, go on campus, females got bikinis on. It was, mm -hmm. it was a good experience, No man. complaining. No complaining. What you got None. there? None. So, uh, 95 draft, you happen to go undrafted, but that's a hell of a draft. Obviously, KG just inducted the Hall of Fame. Joe Smith, McDice, Sheed, Stoudemire, Mike Finley, Brent Berry. Uh, man, hell of a draft. So, pick up basketball late. Junior college, Hawaii, hopes to make the NBA. You don't get drafted. What's your immediate mindset after you don't get drafted? Man, I didn't even know, Matt. I had no clue. Really, it was just like I want to play basketball, but I didn't know what the next steps were. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I had uh, a bunch of agents knocking down my door. So for me, uh, you know, B. Shaw was kind of crucial. You know, Keith Jennings, mister, mm -hmm. he was crucial. You know, Mully and Tim Hardaway, them dudes were really crucial to, like, being in the community. Mully was a hooper. He would play anywhere. Hardaway would play anywhere. And uh, Keith Jennings was on the Warriors squad. And he like took me and some of my friends in and we would hoop with him in the off season. And, you know, he was the one that was really like, yo, young fella, you, you have some talent. You can play at the next level if you really apply yourself. So when I got out of school, all I did was work out with him mm. as much as I could work out with him, stayed in the gym. And, uh, 
the opportunity that really changed everything, we had open run at Club One, downtown Oakland. You guys play for the mm -hmm. Warriors. You remember Club One? That yep. used to be serious run. Mm -hmm. So we were in there hooping one day, and B. Shaw came in. And B. Shaw, we knew each other, but we didn't know each other too well. <clears throat> but the run was so crazy that I was just trying to go at everybody's head. Anybody stepped on the court, I was trying to go at your head. So B. Shaw stepped on, and I hate to tell this story, B, but... You know, I tried to go at B's head mm -hmm. the whole game. He got a big head too. Yeah, we ran he him off. Him. We ran him off the floor. Did you? <laughs> and then I went and sat down. And so after you won, after we won, I went and sat down. So I'm done playing. Mm. So B's man, Glenn Graham, Glenn was like a trainer. He said, "Look, man, I need to, I need to take you. I need to work you out. Let me build you. Let me put you in touch with some agents." And that just opened up the door for me. Dope. That year was a lockout. You know, that year was a lockout, mm -hmm. so the Warriors had 99. They had a free agent camp. And they had the lockout ended, so look, we're going to invite 20 local dudes coming to camp, and we got two spots to go to training camp. Man, I went to that camp, feast or famine. <laughs> Bruh, it was like, let me go in here and show these people I can play. That's how I go. And I was one of the two guys that got selected to go to free agent camp. Mm -hmm. And it was just, once I stepped into that camp, man, Spree took me in. Like so he who was, was on that? Who was on that Spreewell, team? Well, Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen, uh, Ronnie Sykley, B.J. Armstrong had just got traded to the Warriors. Mark Price was there, mm. so it was a team full of vets. That Jerome Kersey. Was that the year that uh, Spree put his hands on Old Boy? No, that was the year after that. Oh, okay. That you was the next it. year. I oh, missed okay. it. <laughs> that was, but that opportunity, like really, Spree took me in. Hardaway took me in, man, and oh. they, they was like. You know, just putting the battery in my pallet. Like, Young fella, man, you can you mm -hmm. can do something. You gotta continue to work, get in the weight room. And once I saw that, that piece right there just kind of took off for me. Right. You know, I stayed with the Warriors for a small part of the season, and I went and played in the CBA. And um, once I got to the CBA, I just took off. Mm. Had a great season. You know, made the All Rookie Team. And then the next year, I came back and uh, went to the Portland Trailblazers. Was in camp with them and spent part of the season there. And then after that, I was just like, man, I, I just want to hoop now. Don't care where I just I don't care. Play. So now I want to hoop. And my agent was like, listen, man, there's a lot of teams in Europe that pay great money and they want your services. And it was, I was like, all right, man, I did the NBA. I made it. Felt like I made it. I, I accomplished that. Now I want to hoop. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for me? So I went to Europe and never came back. Mm. I spent eight years in Europe, man. I traveled the world. I went to France. Italy, Germany, Israel, Spain, England, Australia. Best up. Australia by far. Was it? Australia by far. Australia That's basketball too. or just life in general? Everything. Okay. The hoop scene down there is, is amazing. Where mm -hmm. were you? Melbourne, Sydney? I was in Melbourne for Melbourne. one year and Sydney for two. Yep. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Like, I still go back. Yep. I got deep roots in Australia, mm -hmm. man. But the, the league down there, is, it's in the summertime. Yep. Okay. Yeah. English-speaking country. Yeah. And they try to, they try to their, their whole design of the NBL is off the NBA. Mm -hmm. So they got a TV show, they got TV games. It was, it was a dope experience, man, to be able to travel travel around the world and, and, and kind of, you know, have a career playing basketball. It diversified me, man. Mm -hmm. That was the best thing that could happen to me. You had a lot of game, though, just because you didn't have a long career. I mean, like, people tell stories about you back in the Bay, like, Phil, like, Phil could hoop, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that was always the word. I mean, we were talking about you earlier with Ray's. It's like, nah, Phil... The summer league was loaded, but if you had Phil on your team, you had a chance. Yeah, I don't give a fuck how many other pros <laughs> on the other team. Like, you had a chance. So, now, appreciate hoop, the gas, yeah, right? You, you could definitely hoop, but uh, obviously, traveling the world, did you see any players that really like stood out to you, like overseas legends, anyone that became oh, legends man. or guys you played against? When I was in France, Tony Parker was a 
He was tiny, little dude. Mm -hmm. Tony Parker, Petrius. No, MP. What? Cool coach. Jack had MP gangbanging, fresh out of France. Air France. Air France. Yeah, man. Andrew Gaze? Gaze. I played with Andrew Gaze. So, played with Andrew Gaze, played against Shane Hill. You know, Lenard Copeland, man. I've seen some of those younger dudes when they were. When they were real young, mm-hmm. but like TP was the one. When I saw him, he was just he was like 16, 17 years old, and he was running around shooting flow. You know, he was mm-hmm. running just fast, mm-hmm. just fast. And just to see him years later come into the NBA, see Kukos, mm-hmm. see Peach. You know, these dudes were young. Mm-hmm. They were young kids when I was over there, man. So it was, um, you know, and I had a chance to play in some some good countries with some really good teams, mm-hmm. some Euroleague teams and, and things of like that, where they played at a high level. And it wasn't a slouch. People have the wrong conception of what European basketball is about. Right. It's tough over there. Mm-hmm. The probably, you know, sometimes the European players come here and it's a hard translation. It's mm-hmm. a different style of play, right? You go to Europe, some Americans have a hard time translating to where they play over right. there. It's a tough translation, but I think that was the best thing that could have happened to me for my career. Right. In '97, I was in, I had to go to Australia and I played in uh, for the um, Sydney Kings. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about Andrew Gaze. This was 97, Matt. He's shooting from half court. Bruh. I'm talking about a head full of gray hair. Head full of gray hair. Bucket. This man was unreal. <laughs> in Australia, in my life. Hey, stack. He was unreal. Him and Shane Hill was some of the some of the best shooters I've seen in my life. Yes, sir. And I, I and I seen that in Australia, so I can yes, sir. that, man. So Bro, they were a problem. Yeah. No gas. You know, they no gas. Over there, they were playing. The way Steph and those guys, like, yeah, like bro, is. you had to. They cross half court, you them. better pick them up. Mm, go. <laughs> and everything, their teams were predicated around yeah. making sure they get shots off. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses. 
helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Eight years overseas, you said. When did coaching come into the picture for you? Man, I didn't never think I was going to be a coach. Honestly, let's start. Hold on, let me take it back. When did because you started the training space, I right? Started, started, the training. started the training space and then we'll transition. So when did, tra- yeah. how did how did you go from a player right to trainer? Well, basically he started giving people bags. See, what it is is <laughs> a lot of guys play basketball, but they don't have nothing in their bag. Oh, so they got bags, so they went to field to fill their bags <laughs> up. You feel <laughs> go ahead, coach. Go ahead, OG. Oh man. You know, when I was in Australia, I had some uh, some parents of the kids saying, you know. Our kids are like big fans. Would you would you train them? Mm. You know, would you, could you do some workouts with them? And I started doing like workouts with some of the kids. I pull out a garbage can, send them through some drills. I man, every time I left the gym, man, I felt I just felt renewed. Mm. Like it was a whole different sense of purpose. Like I got to a point to where during the season, on all my off days, I was trying to find, I was trying to train kids. Like I would leave the gym, man, and felt like. Felt like I did something. Mm, I had never felt like that before. It was a totally different feeling for me. So when I when I retired, you know, I was just like, man, my last year in Australia, I was really just gonna take a year off because I had played in Europe for eight years. My parents were getting older. You know, when you play over there, you're gone for ten months. Mm-hmm. So I spent no time in the states. So so let me take a year off and spend some time with the family. And I was gonna go back to my team. You know, we had already set up a a multi-year deal for me to come back. I took that year off, man. It was like, I'm done. I'm not going back to play. What age are you at this point? I was 31. Okay. I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 31, and I was just like, I'm cool. I'm done. My, I didn't. I got to a place where I knew I was not mentally in that space of what taking care of your body, mm-hmm. having to lock in, watch what you eat. Being, I said, man, if I'm not gonna be able to do it at the best of my ability, then I'm I'm yeah. done. Yeah. I'm finished. And so I walked away from it. And I was like, all right, what's next? And I went into real estate for like a year, just some investment, educated myself in real estate and got what to do with my, one of my partners and started buying properties. And, and I was like, after about a year, I was like, no, nah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. I, was, I felt like I was missing something. Mm-hmm. I was missing the game. Man, me and Tony Delk used to work out together. TD. This is how my career in player development kind of started. You know, me and TD used to work out, hoop together. Again, he was with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I retired, you know, TD was like, man, just, you know, let's get some workouts in. I was like, man, I'm done hooping. 
He's like, nah, let's, you know, he was living in Phoenix at the time. He's like, you know, come down here and, you know, let's get some work in. Put me through some workouts. And I went and spent a week with TD. And, man, we got some great work in. I went home and TD was like, look, we, we got to do this for the rest of the summer. So I would go to Phoenix from Sunday to Thursday, go back to the Bay. Sunday to Thursday, go back to the Bay. And every week, TD had more dudes show up to the gym. Eddie House. You know, I, I, I pretty Young much raised Eddie, Eddie House. Mm -hmm. Sean Marion started coming. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, you know, Stackhouse, I mean, not Stackhouse, but Stoudemire was in Phoenix. They all, all these dudes started coming to the gym. And I was just figuring out how to work these dudes out, work with them. And TD was like, listen, bro, you have a knack for this. Mm -hmm. The way you see the game and the way you dissect in your drills and all that stuff, bro, you need to, you need to seriously consider jumping to this business. And at that time, this was... 2003, basketball industry was nil. Mm -hmm. There was a few dudes. Gus mm -hmm. Armstead. Gus mm -hmm. is your mentor, my mentor. Mm -hmm. Gus was one of the very few Shout people, Gus. right, mm -hmm. that was doing it. And he was doing it for years, mm -hmm. Matt, right? So you remember, I used to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. I said, man, let me, let me go down here and, and learn from Gus. And Gus took me in, let me be in the gym. He gave me a voice. And at that point, I knew. I said, man, this is what I want to do. And so I, I just laid down a foundation. I started a business. My very first client, true client, was a kid uh, who lived in Marin. You from the Bay. I mean, you from mm -hmm. there. You, mm -hmm. Marin is... Oh, way out there. Way out there, Stack. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I was living in El Dorado Hills. Oh, that's a push. Sack. Mm -hmm. So it was an hour and 45-minute drive. Hey, Park from Marin City? Huh? Marin County, yeah. Marin County. Yeah. Say yep. where you got his game from. Yeah, yeah. One of my first kids, I could charge this kid $25, man. For all that. I would drive an hour and 45 minutes. It cost more to get there. That's what I'm saying. Cost more to put gas in my car. Mm -hmm. I charged that kid twenty five dollars, and let little did I know, I didn't know much about the Marin area. That's one of the most affluent some, counties in the country. Got some bread out there. Okay, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't really understand that. I trained this kid, and this kid became one of the best players in the county. It opened up the floodgates. Next thing you know, I'm training high schools. I'm training AAU programs. So I went from one kid at $25 an hour to about 50 kids in about a two-month span. Mm. And I was probably charging these kids $50 a session. Taking the trip Still from Stack? taking the trip. Ooh, that's a push. Right. See, what people don't understand, man, like my journey in this, in this business, right. man, it would, at my, over a 13-year span, fellas, I did this for 13 years. And the way it built, you know, it started with that one kid, I would be in Marin. I would be at Stanford. I would be at UC Davis. I would be at St. Mary's. I would be at Cal Berkeley. I had all these different pockets to where on any given day during the week, I'd be driving 500 miles to get into different gyms. The whip was the office mm -hmm. for my bags, for my cones. But it really got to a point where I just, that was it for me, man. I was in the gym 14 hours a day training kids. And then it eventually started bleeding into NBA players, college players, mm -hmm. European players. And it became a full-blown business for me over 13 years. And um, that was like my calling. I feel like to this day, sitting here on this couch, that's what I put on this earth to do, mm -hmm. is to teach the game of basketball mm -hmm. and try to inspire people through that, through that channel. It's real for me. So, I mean, you're one of the best, or you were, you still are, but obviously you have a bigger title on, but you're one of the best trainers in the game. You said earlier that coaching never even came to mind. So how did that transition from mm -hmm. training to coaching happen? Man, you know, Matt, I, when I started, I, I like I had a lot of bad coaches myself. 
that that really deprived me confidence wise. Like you know, we've all had coaches that mm-hmm. try to tear you down. And I went into the, the business of wanting to train young athletes to help build their confidence. You know, give them a platform to say, look, this is what you can do. Put in the hard work, but you can, you know, let me give you some confidence. Um, I started working with with St. Mary's College. And the first thing I said to myself was, look, I'm, I'm going to go in this industry. I want to be one of the best to ever do it. That was my mindset. So I started training St. Mary's College. Randy Bennett and Mike Brown were college roommates. Small world. You know, so... Lloyd Pierce would do some workouts. This is how Lloyd Pierce started NBA. He went to Cleveland. Randy sent him to Cleveland to go work with Mike in the summertime, and then Lloyd Pierce ended up on the coaching staff. So Mike went through that whole thing, and then he got hired by the Lakers. And I was coaching St. Mary's. I mean, not coaching, but training their players. Mm-hmm. And Randy was like, listen, man, you, you have to take this job. And at the time, my business was booming. Like, my training business was booming. I work when I want. Didn't work when I didn't want. Had clients all over the place. And I was just like, nah, I'm not interested. You took a pay cut to go to the Lakers? I did. But here's the deal. Man, I got to a point where I was like, listen, you say you want to be one of the best in the industry, then you have to see what that looks like. In order to see what that looks like, you have to work with the best. The opportunity to work with Kobe was the deciding factor for me. Mm-hmm. That was it. That pushed me over the edge to say, man, you have to take this opportunity. Forget about the money. Forget about what you're leaving behind. You can always go back to it. That was 10 years ago. I ain't been back. Bruh. Well, low-key, summertime, you still do it. Bro. Yeah. You know, and now it's more out of just passion. Right. right. But that decision, I wanted to test myself. I wanted to see if, you know, the things that I'm trying to teach and the pieces of the game that I'm trying to help people with, is it valid? Mm-hmm. Am, am, is it valid? Yeah, you know, I know I work with a lot of NBA players, but can you can you help somebody like that? Or how do you help right. someone like that right. is the question, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even so much, you know, how do you impact? Mike hired me and said, look, you got to figure out how to get build a relationship with Kobe. That's what he told me, Matt. Good luck. You know? <laughs> so, I was there. So, Matt, you were there. I, I mean, there. you know, and for me, it was just the opportunity itself right. just to to get get there and learn and figure out what that looks like. Uh, that was That was what would push me into, and again, I didn't know anything about coaching. You remember our first day of training camp? Man, that first day when oh, the yeah. lockout ended, oh, yeah. bro, my head, I thought my head was going to explode, stack. That's all the information, shit. that was the first time I had been in that environment of understanding offensive breakdown. Mike And Mike Brown is a detail. And so I was sitting on the sideline that day while he was just walking through. I mean, I was just like, man, what is this? And that was our transition from Phil's last year having cancer to Mike Brown the very next year. Mm-hmm. So, and Mike and Phil are night and day. You know what I mean? So this this Laker team has an attitude of you know coming off two championships we lost, Phil retired, then Mike Brown came that next year. But it was just like night and day and their philosophies and their approach. So it took a minute for motherfuckers to really buy into what Man. what the game plan was. But what in it, over more than that, what was it like actually trying to? befriend, teach, become one with Kobe? Well, you know, I looked at it like this, though, man. I had to, I had to try to do that with all you guys. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I knew you a little bit yeah. briefly, right. but, but how, do you, how do you come into a team environment and, and understand each individual player and figure out how you can help them right. or work with them? Man, I think the Kobe thing was B. Shaw had told me. I called B. Shaw when I took the job. Yeah, shout out B. Shaw. That's the B, ultimate big home. Listen, man. B was crucial. 
He said, Phil, I'm going to tell you just like this. <laughs> do not let him punk you. <laughs> no matter what, do not let him punk you. You stand up for yourself. He going to test you. And so I didn't really, I was like, all right, cool. I don't really know what that looks like. But I got the job. I didn't really speak to Cole. You know, I just, I did my job. I got to the gym early, got on the floor and did my work with the players I was working with. And there was a couple of days where Cole would come out. He'd come out of the training room. He'd sit on the chair and, and watch. He'd watch me and he'd go back in the room. And nothing was said of it. And really didn't really develop a relationship with him until a couple of weeks later. You know, when he finally, he hit me one day on text and was like, yo, man, just meet me at the gym. <laughs> you know, I've told this story a few times, but, you know, he was, meet me at the gym. And I was like, all right, bet, let's go. And so, I, you know, I showed up at the gym that night. And he was like, meet me at the gym at 545. And you know what that means. Mm -hmm. I showed up that night thinking we was going to work, waiting for this dude. 545 in the morning. Bro, the he was not there. Up. So I was like, okay, this is what we on? I didn't say nothing. I went to practice the next morning. You know, showed up early, 7.30, practiced at 10. Man, that man came out giving me hell. Hey, bro, yelling, man, what the fuck you doing, man? Wait, you, you ain't showing up for work? I was like, man, I was here. You know, he was, no, man, not 4.45 p.m. I meant this morning. And so that for me. <laughs> Fucked you up. It, man, bro, it messed, the sun came up. it messed me up because I was like, damn, okay. And after that, you know, the relationship started. And you know the first question I asked him was, man, what, what can I help? What can I help you with? You know, I'm I'm looking at this dude like, mm -hmm. man, I'm here to learn from you. You know, it's kind of kind of mm -hmm. thing. And he was just like, man, I want to get better with my ball handling. I didn't want to get better with my ball handling. Sprinkle some stuff into my footwork, and and that was just how it started, man. You know, I gave him some things on the ball handling, and and he was the type of dude that was like, look, I'm gonna take what I need and leave the rest. Mm -hmm. And he told me exactly what he wanted. And, it was my at that point. It was my up to me to put it together and 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 help him as best I could. But that was um, that was the ultimate challenge for me. And to be able to build a relationship with him, you know how it is, Matt. It was you just break down that wall. It ain't easy, bro. And it, it really is just I just one just try to be myself, you know, and, and be as organic with it with it as I could. How did you and Pedro bond when uh, the Lakers? This one right here, mm -hmm. me and Matt was straight, bro. It's already cool, bro. We was already he used to cool. Come up to sack, so my trainer was his mentor. Mm -hmm. So I would see Phil around. Like I said, we didn't know each other great, but we had seen each other. So once I see him, I'm like, oh, what's up? And then this, like I said, this is the ultimate workout, dude. So I'm just like, fuck, let me give a feel and see what I could do. So hey, bro. my son with him now. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, hey, get in line. I've been trying to get the twins. <laughs> I'm trying to get the twins with him for a minute now, boys. Busy winning. Nah, rings. man, we gonna get it. We yes. gonna get it, bro. We gonna get it for sure this summer. Yeah, definitely. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs>
<laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So from the Lakers, you head to the Cavs. So you go from Kobe to Kyrie at the time, and then LeBron ends up joining. So what was that transition like going from L.A. to Cleveland? It was tough. Um, <laughs> it was tough on a, just a lot of different reasons, right? You, again, my first opportunity to come into the league as a coach was like, I'm, I'm going to coach at the Lakers, you know? And so Cleveland was it's just like, man, what am I going to Cleveland for? You know, and, and really, I had to really start to shift and understand what the business was about, right? What the business, so Mike, Mike got fired, D'Antoni came in, you know, and the Lakers were going through a phase of uncertainty, you know, those few years, it was mm-hmm. just, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And so I give Mitch Kupchak a lot of props because he called me into his office one day and said, look, the Cavs have, the Cavs have called and they're interested in interviewing you, and I really think you ought, to, you ought to look at this opportunity. We don't know what's going to happen here. He could have he couldn't have said that. Just let it play out. He could have just let it play out. Right. He said, look, I, I think you ought to really seriously consider this opportunity if they want you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went, did the interview, and, and Mike offered me the job. And I think the real the thing that, that kind of sold me on it was I didn't know Kyrie. I didn't know the kid from L. And I hadn't really studied his game. But when I started watching film on him, I was like, yeah, I, 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 I want to work with him. this. I want to work mm-hmm. with this kid, man. And, and Mike had already put it out there. That's, that's, that's what we want you here for. It was, uh, that was the best. That was probably the best move I made in my career and making that decision to go and do it. Because, again, it, it helped me helped me validate just my thought process on how to train and how to help how to help players get better. It validated it. And and Cole was he was he was instrumental in that. I was about to say you were you were instrumental in getting Kyrie and Kobe together. Tell us about how that happened. Yeah man Kai was a Kai was slippery, bruh. He was, <laughs> you know, he was he was slippery. When I first got to Cleveland, man, Kai tried to hit me with the hit me with the bat phone number and, mm-hmm. you know, not answer the calls. <laughs> he was slippery, you know, and, and rightfully yeah, so. He didn't players. know me. As you, and yeah, didn't he know didn't know me. And that's how young players are. Yeah, and, by, and by, B. Scott was a guy who just got fired. Mm-hmm. So he was he was angry. You know, here we come in. He's like, man, I don't, like, I don't know you. I did, I did one workout with Kyrie and then he disappeared, right? Gave me some number that he never checked. So I got through this process. I was like, all right, look, I'm going to have to reach this dude another way. I knew he respected Cole and Cole really liked his game. Mm-hmm. And so I just hit Cole one day. I said, "Look, man, I need you to I need you to mentor this kid. Like, I really need you to Dope. to 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 go and and if you're okay with it, like give him some energy." And he's like, "Bet I got you. I like it." 
Hmm. And I told Kai, I said, listen, we finally sat down and talked. And I had to fly to Miami to talk to this dude to like, listen, man, I don't want nothing from you. I don't need nothing from you except for you to learn how to work. I want you to pick up the phone and call Kobe. He did, and they went off to the races. Mm. And it just, a, you saw a mind shift. That's dope. You saw a shift. Kobe really, really took him in. And Kai, man, just bought into the work. Mm-hmm. And that changed, that changed his whole, his whole approach to the game to just understand how to take care of his body, right? Off the court, being in the weight room, taking care of it so he doesn't be as injured as much. But then challenging him to understand what the work means for your game. And once he saw that, it was over. Mm-hmm. He just took it, he just took it to a whole nother level. He got the big, he got the best field bag. He got like Nah, Stack, I can't even. I can't even let it go down like that. Kyrie, that bag. Kyrie got a bag yeah. of his own. Oh no, now, no question. Now what we did, what we did was was fine-tune his bag. Yeah, exactly. Like, to where he started really locking in on details mm-hmm. of his footwork, of his balance, on how to get how to get guys off to where you can get to a spot and get to your mid-range, how to be able to better finish or how to pull up at the three. Once he really like honed in on the small details, man, bruh. He wanted the coldest man. Mm. Like, I, listen, mm. I, I, I will. I'm. You just coach the best, bro, my boy. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he is probably one of the most skilled dudes to ever play this game. No question. Agreed. We say that all the time. Agreed. Like, like Total from package. a skill standpoint, right, bro? Mm-hmm. Left, right. He scored all three levels, right? Yep. Most guys, you know, they can do it, but he scores. And he's little to be but, on the post getting buckets, too. Bro, and he definitely gets buckets on the he post. He will post you, mm-hmm. shoot the three, shoot the mid-range. Like you said, Stack, get, he, he going left, right. <laughs> yeah, man, he's... um Special. And he was just missing one thing. The work ethic. He was missing the work ethic. And then, you know, as a young player, what do you miss? Then you miss a, a, another alpha, yeah, like somebody that can really kind of kind of help you. King James. Bring the go, best out you. Man, let that me guy. let me take you to a, right. help you go to another level. Mm-hmm. So what was it like? There was whispers it could have possibly happened. When it actually happened, LeBron coming back to Cleveland, what was your thought process and how excited were you to kind of, okay, so now we got Bron for Kyrie and let's see what we could do. Man, that changed the whole organization overnight, right? We went from, you know, being a young, young team to trying to figure out how to win games to now you catapulted into the finals. The finals. Like, okay, <laughs> the, finals. The, the, the whole projection is, hey, man, man, Cleveland's on top. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't know Braun. I had no relationship with him whatsoever. And, um, you know, it was just another one of those things to figure out a way to integrate a relationship. And for me, the common denominator out of all of those dudes, everybody has always been what? Through the work. Mm-hmm. On the floor. That's it. Right, because that's my that's my number one thing. It's just let's get the work in. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, the relationships will be built because you're gonna understand who I am. I'm gonna get to know who you are. Respect but it. it's through the work, mm-hmm. nothing else. Right. Yeah. And Brown was the same, man. His first day back to Cleveland, you know, I sat down and asked him. I said, man, what, what where, where, where areas you want to improve? Where you want to get better? You know, how can I help assist you in that process? And Brown was just like, man, I'm footwork, ball handling, post ups. I want to get better at everything. And I will say this to this day, man, for somebody of his caliber, that man is a student of the game and he wants to be coached. Like he he wants to be uncomfortable to continue to get mm-hmm. better every day, even to this point. Mm-hmm. So what was it like? I mean, you as a coach being there, obviously on the outside looking in, you hear, you know, that 
there was some head button with Kyrie and LeBron as, as a coach and as someone who worked closely with both of them. What did you see? Because obviously, like, you always hear shit from the outside, but I've been in locker rooms right here, stuff like that shit ain't even close to what's going on. So from being on the inside, what did you see between that dynamic? Man, you know how the media always try to portray something that's not there. Mm -hmm. You know, you have um, <clears throat> you have two, two dudes that are playing at a high level. One, Bron came in with the mindset of trying to trying to help and adjust to Kyrie. Like, look, man, dude, you as you dynamic. I need to I need to figure out how to play with you and we need to figure out how to play together. There was no issues. Mm. Like, you know, it's normal stuff. Right. You go through a season, right? Dudes trying to figure out how to play with each other. They didn't have any issues. None. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened in the media is whatever. You know, they they painted that picture and, you know, the storylines are ran. Right. You know, people can flip it any way you want. But them two got along, man. They got, were they best friends? No. They weren't best to, friends. They have to be. But they got along, mm -hmm. right? And there was a relationship there. Obviously, the relationship was there. We were winning. Right. You know, you, you guys have seen enough of it where two guys that don't get along, that just spills over to the court. Right. Mm -hmm. It don't, don't yeah. go that way. You don't win. Man, they were, that's one of the, that's one of the most dynamic duels, man. Agreed. Ever put together. Mm -hmm. Agreed. They were, they were as dynamic and different to complement right. each other's games, mm -hmm. right? And I just think Kai is one of those dudes, man, he misunderstood. A lot of people don't really know him and understand him. We've been that way. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of players get that get that rap when people don't actually get to know who you guys are. Mm -hmm. Well, take that's, the time. Like, that's it's part funny of Because like I said, I didn't take the time to get to know Kyrie, and I made some misconceptions. And like I said, I'm trying to amend to that now and fix that. Because like I said, for him to love him, for Cove to love him, for Michelle to love him, like there's got to be something special about this dude. That's you know my family, I mean? man. There's something special about him. Good so, dude. And I think yeah. he, Kai is a, you know, he like man, he, he wanted the ultimate competitor too. Mm -hmm. You know how people, sometimes they grow and they want to figure out if they can do things on their own. Right. That's that's normal. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Man, I appreciate you, big bro. Challenge yourself. Right. Right. I want I, to find out. I want to find out what kind of what kind of dude I Leader am. I could be right. Yeah. So your first run, LeBron comes back. Fifteen. You guys make a run to the finals. Unfortunately, Kai and uh, K Love aren't there. You guys get beat by the Warriors. What kind of a learning experience was it getting there, not being at full strength, but still getting there? Man, all about competing. Really, man. It was really we had a man, Matthew Delavadova, tough kid. You know, we had J.R. Smith, Iman mm -hmm. Shumpert. Tristan was growing. We had Timothy Mozgov. Our team, you know, Kyrie and K-Love, huge parts of it, injured. Man, we just thugged it out, man. Next man up. That was, that was really the mentality. I tell you, man, people don't even understand. Matthew Dellavedova was on IVs after every game because he was given everything he had on the floor. Like, he was literally on IVs to, to rejolt his system after <laughs> every crazy. game, bro. People don't even know that. Like... And for us to go shorthanded, I mean, at one point in that series, we were up two to one. Yep. We went back to Cleveland. Went back to Cleveland. We were up two to one. I mean, we were competing, but you know, just just shorthanded. Right. And I think it taught us really about one: when you get there, it's not guaranteed, and you don't Absolutely. know right. you don't know if you're gonna make it back. And so that whole next season, man, we just health was important. You know. You gotta, you gotta. Two things you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of luck, luck. and you gotta have some health. Absolutely. People think it's all talent. Mm -hmm. no, luck and health play a big part of yep. championship runs, man. Mm -hmm. They do, and unfortunately, sometimes it's either on your team or against, it's yeah, on, or it's right. against you. Yeah. It's, that's a cold part of the game. Right. 
Because, I mean, the Warriors got a little taste of that the following year. So in 16, Coach Black gets uh, dismissed. T. Lou takes over. You guys are down 3-1. Um, Draymond gets suspended. You guys make an amazing uh, – this is the 73-19, going for the greatest team of all time. And you guys stuck a fork in that. Down, <laughs> down 3-1, Draymond gets suspended. You guys make a, a, a comeback. What was that experience like game by game, being down 3-1? What was that locker room and vibe like? Man, that's a one-game – Singular focus after game for the game five, mm -hmm. game four, three one. After game four in Cleveland, the locker room was calm. You know, look, T. Lou and Bron were were at the catalyst of that. Their mindset was like, man, if you guys don't believe that we can go to Oakland and win this next game, do not get on the plane. That's our focus. We ain't thinking about nothing else. We got one game to win, and that was the attitude really coming out of the locker room. We left that night. Everybody got on the plane. It was a business trip. They were locked in. Them dudes were locked in just to the moment of, we got to win this game tonight. And Kyrie and Brown went out there and put mm -hmm. on a show, boy. 45-40, mm -hmm. that was nasty, man. 40-40 in the finals. Bro, it was nasty. And they were just tit for tat. Take a turn. Just tit for tat. It was, And the team really just, again, <clears throat> the you know the part of Draymond being kicked out of that uh, you know suspended for that next game it was just like no matter what we have to go here Regardless. with the purpose to win the game mm -hmm. now does that help the situation mm -hmm. absolutely Draymond man he impacts the game the way he does but regardless yeah. we got to go win the game yeah. so y'all put your shoes on get your hard hats on man let's let's go out here and play and it was just like one game at a time man that's really Mm -hmm. It's hard, you know. You, you we've all been, been in that there, situation, right? right? No. Close out games and yep. whatnot. Win and go home. So you guys were able to walk them down, win a championship, first championship in 52 years uh, for Cleveland sports. What was that experience like to to, to win it in that fashion uh, against you know, like I said, the Warriors were 73 and nine that year. Man, that's one. There's a, there's so many storylines. I'm from the Bay, you know. Bron from Cleveland to be able for Bron to come back home and, and accomplish that. You know, we're the only team in history to come back in the finals 3-1. There's so many different storylines. Man, the city of Cleveland was lit, man. Mm. Cleveland was lit. People talk about Cleveland, amazing city. And my time there was amazing. But that city and the whole state was lit. Mm. Like, if you see the pictures, man, it was, it was you know a couple when million. J.R. Smith didn't wear a shirt for like a month. <laughs> hey, rightfully so. Right. Rightfully right. so, man. Right. That's the pinnacle right there. Right. Yeah. But no, nah, Cleveland was um that experience to this to this day, that's to me, that's still my the most memorable one for me for just just how we had to do mm -hmm. it. The process. Yeah. So you guys obviously make it back, uh, run into the Warriors again. Uh Katie jumps ship and goes to Golden State. What was it like playing against those Warrior teams? With all that, we were talking about it earlier with how tough it was chasing Steph around last night. But add KD to that mix, add Clay to that mix, and all them boys was hitting on all cylinders. What was it like going up against those Warrior teams? Man, you just shake your head, man. <laughs> you say you I shake mean, your bro, head. it's um, they were game planning for them. You know, I give I give T. Lou a lot of credit, man. Our coaching staff, like T. Lou, was. Very, very savvy in some of his approaches of trying to slow them down. You ain't gonna, you can't gotta, stop them. You, what are you gonna do? You have to try to slow them down. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, you got three-headed monster, and it's, it's legit, man. We just, we just try to compete as best we could. You know, you try to put yourself in a position where, one, you have to try to make them work on the defensive end. But really, I mean, what can you do with that? 
Now that was, those were those were some tough some tough battles against a against a, a team that just had a lot of firepower. But the thing to me that people don't talk about enough, <clears throat> yes, those three dudes are who they are. But what really made them great were the freaking players around them, mm-hmm. the role players, mm-hmm. and they have vets, Bruh, smart vets. Dudes really bought into their roles, mm-hmm. and they did them roles at a high level. That's what made them three dudes so so yeah. so dynamic mm-hmm. and even harder to guard because. The other dudes on the floor, so smart. man, they were smart. They knew what they were doing. They knew what to play. They knew when to try to score. Iguodala, you know, Livingston, mm, Barbosa, David, David West. you know, David West, mm-hmm. uh, Bogut, mm-hmm. you know, David Lee. Bro, I mean, they, all of these dudes were just cerebral players, and it's just people didn't give enough credit to the, to the supporting cast mm-hmm. that they had. So your, Cle- your time in Cleveland uh, comes to an end. You end up going to Toronto, you, t- you told us how you got there. Um, what was it like getting to work with Kyle Lowry and, 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 and uh, Kawhi and on the build-up to that finals run? Yeah, man, was, Toronto, was, Toronto was a dope experience, man. That's a dope city. Mm-hmm. Great people, Don't good vibes. Man, great, great city. Yeah, I got a couple kids up there. <laughs> I thought I did, but <laughs> yeah, check, I did check out. Okay. Ah, y'all wild, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think um, I had a misconception of Kyle Lowry. You know, just playing against him all the years, he's just he's an irritant, right? Mm-hmm. right? And I hated coaching against him because he just he messed with the game. He know how to mess with the mm-hmm. game. CP, those mm-hmm. those dudes, man, they know how to manipulate Super the game. Guys, Super yeah. smart. And so playing against him all those years, I was just like, man, this dude get on my nerves. But once I got to Toronto and was actually in the gym with him, and saw what his process was about every day, grinder, what, straight pro, like pro, every day, man. On it, he competes every night. He leaves it on the floor for his teammates, and just a stand-up dude, like like an incredible, incredible dude off the court as well. So I, my respect for him, man, is at a high, high level. Um, again, I didn't know Kawhi, didn't know Kawhi from Adam, they never had a relationship with him, and he, he is not what people think, you know, just from the sense of his personality, um, his. Kawhi's got a little bit. Of, he got a little bit of comedian in him, man. I heard oh, he yeah. talks and no jokes problem. and all that shit. What? He's got to be around. Listen, he's an LA dude. Yeah, he yeah. is. He is. He is an LA dude. Yeah. Like through and through, and when and when you're around him, you know, and you get to know him. Oh man, he is not what people think, bro. <laughs> but <clears throat> Kawhi is cut from the same cloth as Kobe, as Bron, mm-hmm. as MJ. Like he cut from that cloth in the sense that his work. And the first time we worked out together, um, you know, after the trade and stuff cleared, you know, I reached out to him and said, man, I'm I'm just excited to, you know, get with you and try to build. And he was like, when you coming to San Diego? And we got to San Diego and we got in the gym and he just said, look, coach, I'm just tell you like this. I like the gym quiet. I don't like people in the gym. I like to get my work in. Mm-hmm. That set the tone. Right there. Right there. Set the tone. And he is just one of those dudes that like really just, about getting better. You know, he wanted, he's like, yo, I want to get with Cole. You know, how, when, when can we get with Cole? I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to get that, that mm-hmm. process. So we got, we went, went down and spent some time with Cole just, and he was always, look, man, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to figure out this post-up stuff. I want to get my footwork right. I want to get my handles right. You know, I want to be able to, be able to shake dudes free and, and create. And he was just really one of them dudes, man, that just student of the game. You know, people think he's not a leader. Leadership comes in different ways, yep. right? It's not always vocal. Lead by example. He shows up. No, he's not perfect, mm-hmm. but he shows up and he works. He's a worker. 
He is in the gym working on his craft all the time, man. And just a competitor. Mm -hmm. He one of them dudes that competes, man. Mm -hmm. It was it was a great opportunity for me to again work with some work with some other guys around the league that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So you guys make this run to the finals. Um, what was it like in that series leading into the finals uh, against Philly? Kawhi hits that shot that takes like seven seconds to actually go in the basket. <laughs> um, how 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 what kind of a series was that versus Philly? That was the most physical, one of the most physical series I've I've been a part of. Really? Yeah, that that series, man, was tough. They they prepared us, you know. I felt like every round that we played in prepared us for something, but they they prepared us. They were physical as shit, man. Like Jimmy Butler, you know, he was a big part of the team. But Ben is Ben is a physical dude. People don't understand He's how physical. Big. They don't understand how physical Ben is. Ben is physical. Embiid is big. You know, their whole team. They were a big team. Mm -hmm. You know, they had Ennis. They had Tobias, so they they played a big lineup, and so their their size was a problem. And so what they did was, you know, they stuck Embiid on Pascal, which Colin, you know, Pascal year man, he was he was giving people problems at that four spot, but you know, Embiid was so big, you know, he could take away some of his drives, take away mm -hmm. his post ups. So they kind of kind of nullified him a little bit, and they just they threw bodies at Kawhi. You know, Jimmy guarded him, Tobias guarded him, Ben guarded him. You know they had multiple guys, and it was a, it was a physical, physical series, man. And as you can tell, Game Seven, that thing could have mm -hmm. went any way. Either way, right? It could have, because it really, Philly at one point they had us down, two to one, right? They had us down two one. We had to win Game Four in Philly, or they would have went up three one. Mm -hmm. And that game, Kawhi just he took that game over at the end. But that was a, that was a must win game for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that right there was the turning point for the series, for us and the team, because uh, they were they were they were at our heads, man. Because we won game one, and they won game two and three, mm -hmm. and they won them games emphatically. It wasn't like yeah, they was beating us. So mm -hmm. it was <clears throat> game four was a was a huge adjustment adjustment, but um, that Philly series was was one of the toughest ones I've been a part mm -hmm. of. And then you spoke on earlier. You need a little bit of luck, and obviously. Grind and talent. You guys run into a, a warrior team that that is a little bit banged up, and yeah. not to your, you know, not yeah. not y'all fault, but that's just how it was. So to be able to go in there and then win that series, KD comes back, gets hurt again, Clay tears his knee. At the end of the day, you guys end up winning. What was it like to be able to help bring the first championship to a country, Bruh, You know the fans up there in Toronto, crazy. man. They are crazy, crazy, and and loyal. We got back to Toronto. I thought the parade in Cleveland was crazy. <clears throat> man, it was three and a half million people in Toronto. Damn. For that parade. That's man. dope. It was that, like you said, Matt, it was it was a country, not a state, right. not a city. The whole country was put on. And it was uh that was a dope experience, man, to be part of that, to be part of just seeing where they had came from. Mm -hmm. You know, the culture of how they built the franchise and and them losing so many years in the right. playoffs to us in Cleveland, that was a dope experience, man. What was the energy like when Drake came around? No huge ambassador, big fan, sits right by the bench. What was that energy like? Man, you know, Drake is one of them dudes, man. He just, he put, he gonna put the battery in your pack, man, for us. Mm -hmm. And you guys know he on the sidelines. He mm -hmm. he was an agitator too. Mm -hmm. As much as anything, he, <clears throat> you know, that's why the NBA was was giving him, giving him hard times. He was an agitator to opposing teams and players and, 
He talked big shit. Mm-hmm. You know, he one of them dudes, man. <laughs> he talk, he talk a lot. I think for the players, man, just they all fed off his energy because he was, you know, that's his team. Him, that's right. him. Mm-hmm. That's his city. That's his right. his love, man. And I think it was it was just a perfect storm. That's what's up. That's that's what it was, man. It was a perfect storm. And like you said, Matt, the injuries to the Warriors were, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm I'm the type of dude if I'm I always feel like you want to try to compete against the best and, and win against the best and play at the high level, but but injuries happen. Mm-hmm. And while everybody else was talking that, and no, I said, listen, man, we still got to win these games. We have to win these games. Don't matter who's on the Don't floor. Matter. You have to win the games. You got a chance to work with greats. We, we, we've detailed, you know, a handful of them. Uh, give me one word when we ask, when we say these players' names that comes, first thing that comes to mind, Kobe. Man, one word? Mm-hmm. Shit, Mamba. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Sure. Kyrie. Swiss Army knife. It's more than one <laughs> word. All kind of compartments. Swiss, <laughs> Swiss Army. That's knife. Hard. Like just, That's just with a his, hashtag. Bruh, Swiss Army with his, knife. With his skill set, Swiss Army. Mm, can do it all. LeBron. Man, complete. Mm. Mm-hmm. Complete. That's a picture of a complete player. Mm-hmm. By far, most For sure. Kawhi. They call him the Terminator, dog. Like, <laughs> like that's that's real. That's like I, when I think of him. You 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 actually think of Kawhi's movements, how he is. People think he's robotic, mm-hmm. but that man like the Terminator for real. Yeah. Like <laughs> like he carries that. I'm gonna tell a story <clears throat> to me that's personified. We were down 2-0 against Milwaukee. You know. Nick Nurse came into the locker room and said, you know, we, man, we're going to make some adjustments. We'll get back to Toronto and, and we're going to be ready. And Kawhi said, the adjustment is I'm guarding Giannis. <laughs> we walked out the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. That's it right there. That's, That's it, bro. That's what turned. I love it. That's what worked. I love it. I remember that shit. Uh, what's something you learned from just being able to work those four guys out about yourself? I think they really respected my my work ethic. And, and for me, that was something that I wasn't aware of, just my work ethic. Mm-hmm. And they really, they respect just the work, my work ethic mm-hmm. more than anything. And for me, man, it just, it taught me, like I said, man, validated. I, I've always wanted the validation of, you know, just just knowing that the way I think the game. and it's The right way. Yeah, right? And the way I try to help players just validate knowing that you're doing the right thing. See, but I even think, I don't know if you realize, but that probably goes even back to your playing days because you said right when you went to the Warriors, who took you under the arm? The two best players, Tim Hardaway and Sprewell. They didn't have to do that. So they must saw you how hard you worked. You know what I mean? And to be able to translate that into everything you're doing, I think that's dope. Um, Your return to the Lakers. How Mm. did that come about and how's it been? Man, you know, it was hard to leave Toronto, man. Toronto was, you know, again, and even with Kawhi leaving, I was I was locked in for three years. It was it was hard decision to leave, but I think that the the biggest thing for me was, like I said, I have an eight year old son who lives here in Los Angeles, and being able to be close to him, that's priority. That was the, that was the main the main priority. And, and obviously, look, the Lakers were were putting together uh, a championship caliber team, <clears throat> and when I left the Lakers the first time. You know, I, I walked out of the building saying, 
I want to come back here one day and be a coach on the front of the bench, mm. and I want to win a championship here. Mm. I left saying that. And to be able to come back and, and have that come to fruition, mm -hmm. as in all things too, you know, again, the championship caliber piece was a part of it. And do we have a team to compete coming back here? So it was, uh, again, that was another thing that was kind of everything was, was nicely wrapped. But my son was was the uh, was the biggest biggest part of that decision for me. Mm -hmm. So you returned to the Lakers. Um, like I said, obviously 2020 was a mess for all of us. Uh, we lose Kobe at the beginning of 2020. What's the team's energy focus like, and then the drive to actually winning it the year he passes? Yeah, at first it was tough, man. It was a tough. That was a tough adjustment for the team because, you know, how you you get to that initial stages. You know, the first few days, right, kind of get used to it. But every time we went on the road, teams did a Kobe tribute mm. every that that season. So it was, it was tough to kind of, kind of put it behind you. Yeah. But I think um, once we got to the bubble, you you kind of felt like everybody's uh, motivation. And then they pulled out their mama jerseys. Just was hard. Them, the they pulled boys. out their mama jerseys, dog. It, it you saw just a a whole different. Different for some for whatever reason, man. They they played at a, a different sense of urgency, but you kind of felt everybody was really really pulling pulling in that direction, man, and trying to do something special. When you reflect on Kobe and his memory, what what stands out? Man, his realness. His realness, man. He was he was misunderstood, man. People, I asked him one time, Matt. Like I asked him, I said, man, why are you such an asshole? I asked him that. He said, you really want to know. You know how he was. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he said, Phil, man, some of my teammates don't understand the work. He said, so I see dudes walk into practice 10 minutes before practice and they leave right after. Why the fuck am I going to pass them the basketball? Mm -hmm. I don't respect their work ethic. I'm in here busting my ass every day trying to perfect my craft. And these dudes, these dudes don't want to work on their game. I don't trust them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to pass them the basketball. I'm going to ride them hard every day made perfect sense when he really broke it down as to why he is the way he is with certain dudes. I was just like, man, I respect that, bro. Mm. I respect that. But his realness in the sense of, you know, he told me, he was like, look, man, you have a, you have an ability to, to connect with people. Don't, do not concern yourself with what people think about you. And he told me that, man, and just, and that sunk in. It sunk in. He said, look, you have to move the way you move. Make sure you do your job. Make sure you're professional. Make sure you study the game. But don't be concerned with what people think about you. Mm. And that stuck with me ever since, since I've been in this league. He was a pro at that. I laugh when you said the 545 thing because I automatically knew 545 in the morning because <laughs> I used to have to go out to Orange County and what time, what time you want me to meet you at the track? 5.15, I'm like, nigga, it's still dark. What are you talking about? Like, Come on, man, dark we got to run. Block. We got to run, then we got to hit the gym. We hit the gym and lift so hard, I felt like I couldn't lift my arms up, but then we got to go shoot for like two hours out. Like the, the so you experienced you said, it, Matt. Mm -hmm, I ran through you, it with him. You, you experienced People don't, People don't really understand like, what that was about with him. Yeah, he respected you. He fucked with you. If they, like I said, he had had me come out there. We go work out, then we go have breakfast and everything. And like I said, I know he didn't let too many people do that. Yeah, you know what I mean. To be able to get that side of him was dope. And it's funny because I asked him the same question. I was like, why don't you ever show? I didn't say be an asshole. I was like, why don't you show the world how dope you are and how you are with us? And he looked at me and he said, I can't let them motherfuckers see that. 
You know what I mean? It was just like that constant always go because he, you know, you know, and a lot Kobe is cool as fuck. I was yeah, talking man. shit to him. He would talk back. Yep. We'd all talk and joke on each other. But you would, if you didn't see that, you would never know. He was probably similar to Kawhi. Bro. You would never know that that's what kind of shit he's on. Man, ultimate competitor. I know, Super. I, I know you remember that day, right? In oh. practice. Oh, when the he went second off on unit with y'all was tearing the, yo, we were beating the brakes off Listen, him, bro. bro. He was pissed. They were beating the brakes off him. And talking dude. shit, too. On uh, first team. <laughs> oh, and it was like, it wasn't just one game. It was like one game, then Cole was like running back. It was the second game, running back. And then it was the third game. And then finally, Cole said, We're in practice. Man, Cole yeah. flipped over tables. He was cussing everybody, bro. It was <laughs> Matt, Matt was yeah, I was gassing. He was too. gassing was the whole thing, dog. Y'all supposed to be we supposed to win a championship with y'all start with this unit? Yeah, just, yeah. You know what I mean? Just getting under his skin. He was pissed at yes, he, he, he didn't want practice the end, first of all. And then once we called it, that nigga was flipping over tables, water containers. He was heated. Bro. That's funny. I ain't talked about that shit. Yeah, I bro. I remember that, that day. That shit was funny. What was the NBA bubble and championship run like? Man, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Y'all in there for a long, 100 days? Four months. Damn. It was hard in the sense of, you know, just being away from your family, your comfort zone, just just different. Mm. Uh, you don't have your normal stuff during the season, routines or players' routines. Everybody's routines were just thrown out the window. But I think the hardest part was, was um, one, the no fans thing. Took, it took a while to get adjusted to that because where you generate energy from, fans. Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I'm gonna tell you, man, we had a crew like Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, J.R. Smith, Rondo, and them dudes on the bench, oh, bro, they used to, they generated so much energy. Mm -hmm. Like the energy that they brought, JaVale and Dwight alone, oh, they're them wild. two, they're wild. Oh, bro, they they're were like, they're like teenagers. They listen, look like man. jumping up and down, screaming, falling. No. <laughs> it's crazy. So, so, the challenge was, you know, just, just being there. And, but again, we had a special group. You know, we had a bunch of dudes that felt like they had stuff to prove. Rondo, Dwight, you know, Braun, you know, even AD. Like, we, our whole team, you know, guys, we felt like they had stuff to prove. And so the mindset of them dudes, man, we're here for one reason. We are here for one reason. And once the playoffs started, man, they just, they automatically clicked into that. Them dudes, when I say... They were as bought in and as much involved in our coaches' meetings as we were. Like Rondo used to be in our meetings. <laughs> I believe it too. Like just like like for real, man. They were bought into trying to win. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was really just generating the energy. And then again, you know, once you get into that part of it, just I think it was some some ways it was easier because you didn't have a lot of distractions. Mm -hmm. But you know, on the flip side of that, again, you didn't have your family. Your comfort zone was gone. So we just, we had to find ways, man, through that four months to just really. That's a long time. It man. is, bro. Four months. It's a long time to be on a resort. Hell yeah. No, look, the NBA, on the flip side of it, the NBA did a, they did a fantastic job. You know, people don't really talk about what they did to make that place as comfortable as possible. Good, they had, right. we had everything we needed in there. I mean, they had movie theaters, you had restaurants, you, you can go fishing, you can go. Golfing, bike yeah, rides. Well, you, mm -hmm. you had everything you needed, but it was just one of those things where if you were not locked into being in the bubble to to really try to compete and win, if you went in the bubble and said, man, I don't want to be here, you're going you're gonna to be done. home soon. You were done. Right. That's and so tough. we had, we had a, I always said, man, whoever, whatever team comes into the bubble with the strongest mental fortitude yeah. is going to win. But well, you're big on mental. 
You're big on mental, especially at this level. I mean, because mm-hmm. I don't think people understand how important the mental aspect of the game is. Uh, I'd say 90% of the game is mental at this level. 100%. Especially when you get into playoffs, right? Yeah. You get into the playoffs, you lose a game that you're not supposed to lose. Your mentals has got to be, mm-hmm. you got to be right to where you can, you can, you can readjust. Bounce back. And bounce back mm-hmm. quickly. Right. Uh, you spoke on Rondo being in, in the coaches meeting. How instrumental was he coming back? Because he wasn't going to come back. How instrumental was he coming back in the playoffs, in the bubble, and obviously helping you guys win? Man, we didn't win. We don't win that chip without Rondo. Mm. And you ask anybody on that team, coaches, players, front office, man, Rondo is probably one of the smartest IQ basketball players to ever lace up shoes. He shot the lights out too in the Bruh, bubble. Listen, and people, people give him flack for that. Rondo can shoot. He just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, his gravitation is to do what he does, right? Play, make, involve other people. Man, that man is a maestro, mm-hmm. straight up. Mm-hmm. He is a basketball savant. I love that. You know, and, and his sense of his dissection. And, you know, Rondo will argue with you. I got many arguments with Rondo. You know, because he, his thing was like, I study this shit. And I'm like, man, so do I. You know, our whole coaching staff. You know, we, but, but, but that's, you want that, that's what though. you want, that's man. You, you, want you know, as a, as, a, as a coach and organization mm-hmm. or, and, and just, you can win with dudes like that. Mm-hmm. Doc said he used to have to give him his uh, play card before the game. He said, Rondo be looking at the play card, calling shit before I even call. Bruh, Rondo, you put, try to put some sets in, teach your team. Rondo already on five, six different counters where the mm. other dudes are still trying to right. figure out the basic part of the play. But mm. uh, he's, a, he's a different breed, I man. I love it. How special is AD's talent? Duh. Unicorn. Yeah, unicorn. That's what I said about Tim Duncan. Unicorn. I call him Tim Duncan on steroids. Hey, bro. <laughs> I mean, Stack, you, I don't even think, I mean, AD is special, man. Right? He can do it seven foot. Dribble, pass, shoot, post up, handle. Going hard. Nah, man, he he's special. And I don't even think AD realizes how special mm, how he is, is man. And what I think great part about that about him is he's such a good dude. Humble, real humble. Yeah, he good, good dude, got a great family. But I think AD has an opportunity to, he's an NBA, he's an MVP caliber player. I and mean, I'm talking about to where he can he can really dominate the game. Both ends, on both too. ends. Mm-hmm. Like, he cleans up a lot of stuff, man. And he's a special talent, man. They call him, you know, they call him the unicorn. Mm. Second time around with LeBron, um, how special has it been being able to work with him and win championships with him? No, nah, man, that's been, um, that's been just like for me, a, a great, like I said, man, I, I've always had that mindset of learning from players. Um, you know, as much as we as coaches try to try to help, man, I've learned so much from Bron, uh, just from commitment. Like his work ethic is insane. The way he takes care of his body is unbelievable. That man is literally in the weight room 365 days. He might take time off the court, but he is doing something to his body every day to keep himself. And he just, uh, I think the misconception is that he, again, that he's, you know, he's a coach, he's a GM. Man, he's coachable, right? He wants to be coached, you know. He he want to be he want to be challenged mm-hmm. in that way, and I I respect that that part of it is because he's never shied away from being uncomfortable uh, in terms of trying to trying to reinvent himself and continue to to stretch his game beyond what people think he can do. But he's um he's just a coachable dude, which is to me the most important piece, you know, because even as coaches he look us in the eye. Even, you know, hey, coach, whatever you need, whatever you mm-hmm. want, coach. 
But at the same time, he also knows what he wants. Mm -hmm. And he knows that the ingredient for him to be successful or what he needs around him to be able to compete and compete for championships. So that's rare too, mm -hmm. right? Understanding what you, what you need around you, what kind of team you need, and then being able to, uh, being able to execute on it. Being around him a lot, obviously banged up a little bit this year, seeing the kind of work he puts in, how many more years do you feel like he has under his belt? Until he doesn't want to play. Until mm. he says That's hard, man. Mm -hmm. Until he doesn't want to play. I'll I be looking at this dude like, bruh, when are you going to slow down? <laughs> right, you've been in his prime his whole career. Until he don't want to play. And that's, you know, that's a testament to that's what he does with his body, man, how he takes care of himself. Talk to us about business that you've been able to create outside of basketball. I know you're working, you, you have an app that's, that's up and running. Talk to us a little bit about the business side outside of basketball. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the platform that, that we all have in this industry is sometimes not used properly, right? And so I've, I've always had this passion of, of what do I want to do with the game of basketball and be able to just share knowledge. I use that phrase all the time, really taking what God has blessed me with and try to help the game. There's a lot of bad trainers out there. Mm -hmm. it's, a lot of, it's a lot of BS out there with training and, and the whole basketball world. So I created the app. You know, I've had a lot of coaches and trainers reach out to me over the years about my philosophy and what have I done. And so the app is the place that I was like, man, let me, let me put this together and make it because I can't be everywhere. Mm -hmm. I can't do as much, but the app is a global thing. You know, 94 Feet of Game app is, is that's my passion project. That's my lifelong work right there mm -hmm. of being able to take, you know, this whole system and, and formula that I've tried to create for training and put it in one place where kids, coaches, trainers, players, everybody can have access to it to, to help. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that my way is the only way to teach, but this is what made me successful. It's a hell of a way. It's a hell of a way, this though. Is, this is what's made me <laughs> it's successful. It's a hell of a way. And, and so that's what the app has been about for me, Matt. What is it? It's called again, 94 Feet? 94 Feet of Game app. Where, they, where can they get anywhere. it at? Anywhere. You can get it on all platforms. Hey, you know it's real when you can get that shit anywhere. All platforms, man. We're just trying to make it as available to people and as feasible to people to, again, if you really want to figure out uh, some detailed training, you know, the app is a... It's a great tool, and I'm not just saying it because my app. Mm -hmm. We put a lot of work into it to make it very easy for people to use. Oh, congratulations on that. Appreciate that. Advice to young coaches trying to break in as trainers and development of guys. There is no, there is no blueprint. There is no. Got to be in you. There is no. Everybody asks, "What's the path?" There is no path. Everybody's journey is different. Mine is different than any other, you know, any, any NBA, everybody's journey is different. And I always tell the coaches that it's not instant. You know, a lot of people think you come in or you, you have an opportunity to coach in the NBA and it's just, it's instant. Mm -hmm. No, nah, like man, I mean, you, some guys start out being video coordinators. Some guys start out being interns, right? And, and even when you get the opportunity to be in, my own experiences is I locked into my job. I wasn't looking at being a bench coach. I wasn't looking at being a second assistant. Mike Brown, what's my responsibilities? All right, I'm locked into that. I'm kill let, that me, let me kill that role. I think coaches have the same responsibilities as players. We all have a role as a coach. Let me stay in my lane and do my role. And I think you know, people come into the league or they try to get in and say, hey, in five years, I want to be this. Or in five years, I want to be that. Well, what if that's not the plan? Right. 
What if it's not meant for you to be that in five years? So how about you just, whatever your job is, lock into that and be the best that you can be at that part of your job. And then organically, it'll happen. It's yeah. gonna happen wherever mm -hmm. wherever it's meant for you to go. So I'm always telling coaches about, you know, just understanding, you know, your journey is different. And my journey was 13 years. Mm, it's a grind. It's yeah. a grind. It's a real grind. And it's not a glamorous, it's not a glamorous job. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And and being okay with understanding that may not happen when you want it to happen. Mm, God's time. Quick hitters, first thing to come to mind. Home stretch right here. Top five musical artists. Oh, J. Cole. Man, I mean, J. Cole. See, I'm different, man. I like J. Cole. I always fool with Jay-Z. I'm a Nas guy. Um, I'm, I fool with Drizzy. And I'm going to throw you all off with this one. I like St. John. I fool with St. John. Okay, St. John. I fool okay. with St. John, man. All right. Mm-hmm. Five most skilled players you've ever seen. Five most skilled. Kyrie. Ooh, Kobe. Mmm. Kim Olajuwon. Steve Nash. I'm gonna have to put Brown in there Got too. Got to. Got to. That's a nice one. And that's not in any particular order. That's a nice five. That's not in particular order. You plus four going to play pickup basketball at Oakland <laughs> at Oakland's meanest park. Who are you taking? I'm taking GP, J Kid, Greg Foster. And I'm gonna take Hook. Hook I'm gonna take Mitchell. Hook, Shout Hook out Mitchell, Hook. boy. Mm -hmm. Shout out Hook, Bay Area legend. If you could go back to one night in your career, what would it be and why? As a player? Period. Player, coach. Man, game seven in Oracle when we were down 3 1. Um I had just my family sitting in the stands, being a boy from born and raised from Oakland, uh, being in that environment when the, when it was over, and that was probably the most emotional period in my life, for just for a lot of reasons. You know, my parents were no longer alive, but just going through what I had been through to be able to be in that position as a coach, yeah, that's that's probably that's the that's pinnacle dope. of my career right there that night. Mm -mm -mm. Most influential basketball figure in your life? My brother. Mm. Unheard of, C.L. Handy Jr. Uh, he was my closest brother, taught me how to play. He, he really took me under his wing when I was a little kid, and he would just beat the shit out of me, man. My, my goal, my number one goal was to beat him one-on-one, -on -one. and I don't, ever think, I don't think I ever did. Mm. That drove me, but he, but he inspired me to, to really take the game of basketball and try to do something with it. Last question, who do you want to see on All the Smoke? And yeah, you have to help us with your answer. You have to help get us your answer on the you show. You got a couple guys on your team that haven't been on the show yet. I'm yep. just throwing that shit out there. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> man, boy, All the Smoke, huh? I mean, uh, I know y'all trying to get Brown on here. I know you're trying, of course. I know you're trying to get AD on of here. Of course. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Kyrie on here, though. Oh, yep. good call. We're yeah, working like on it. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Well, Phil Handy, man, we appreciate you. Man, love. I appreciate you, brothers, man, appreciate for what you your time, time, man. Yes, sir. Good luck. Appreciate That's it. That's a wrap. All the smoke. Special guest, Phil Handy, world champion, three-time world champion. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. And he, he open if you need to put something in your bag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you might have to get on the waiting list. <laughs> yeah. You got something to put in your bag. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. This is All the Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio. 
in partnership with Showtime. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare top thrill 2 is like no other course two 420 foot vertical speedways three launches all right let's talk strategy Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.